0: What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? What is this? Are you trying to trick me? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today it's another best of episode I've got a lot going on these days And I just haven't had a chance to put together a new episode But fortunately we have like 250 episodes to choose from And we've already made several best of episodes This is one of my favorite best of episodes that I'm putting up This is the best of movie tropes You know I love my movies I love my TV shows And I love talking about them Well, I've done several episodes where we put together the movie tropes, and this is a compilation of some of those best movie tropes, or maybe worst movie tropes is a better way to put it, that I've observed over the years. This isn't the definitive list. It's not the exclusive list. It's just a list of some of the tropes. Don't worry, we've got plenty more to do. If you haven't heard these before, I hope you enjoy them. And if you have heard them before, I hope you enjoy them again. So here we go. The best of movie tropes. Now... What these are, are the movie tropes. I told you about movie tropes. They're overused plot devices, essentially. Now, there are dozens and dozens of things that are repeated over and over and over again. And to me, it's a sign of lazy writing or a bored writer or somebody who's just not trying because they always pop up. We always talk about game logic in the stream. This is movie logic. A lot of the stuff that happens in movies, it just doesn't make sense, except that you're in a movie. And it happens in movies because it happens in movies. So these are the 10 things. Let me put it this way. These are the first 10 things that pop into my head when I think about the things that make me crazy about the movies. Now, Mrs. Gamer Dude and I will watch a movie and it never fails to happen in an action movie these days. If you see a chase scene where somebody's running away, either out of fear or to escape the bad guys or to escape the good guys, they always run upstairs. Or they climb on the roof. Or they take an elevator up. Why? Why do you do that? Where are you going upstairs? You, you Are you going to jump off the building? Why are you running upstairs? Why wouldn't you run into the woods? Why don't you run into the sewer? Why don't you run down the crowded street? No, no, no. They run upstairs. They climb a fire escape. They climb a ladder. It makes me crazy. It makes no logical sense to run upstairs to try to escape somebody chasing you. Run away. Then there's the parking spots. There's always a parking spot in a movie. Always, always, always. And it's always right in front of the building you need to go to. You never see the hero circling the block. You never see the hero having to parallel park. There's always a parking spot right in front of the building. And they never put a coin in the meter. Not a single time. There's always a parking spot. There's never a meter. Then when they get to the spot, they're going into the building. And it's not just a building they just parked in front of. It's any building. When they walk into a room, why doesn't anybody turn on the lights? They swing the door open, there's a pitch black room, and nobody flicks the light switch. Why is that? Why is that? Do people forget how light switches work? And when they enter the bad room, the dark room, they always announce their presence. Hello? Hello? Is anyone here? If you have concerns about a room, and you're not turning the lights on for whatever reason... Why are you announcing your presence? It makes me crazy when they do that. And then once they get in the room, let's suppose they have a flashlight with them. And it's not just the room. It's if you're walking through the park at night, if you're in a sewer, if you're in the haunted house, and you happen to have a flashlight. Why do the flashlights always need batteries all of a sudden? You've had a perfectly good flashlight. You turn it on. It's working fine. And then flicker, flicker. It starts to go out. What's up with that? Can't we just have a flashlight that works? All right, so let's get outside the building now. It's daytime now. We need a car. We're going to go find a car. We're going to borrow a car. We're going to steal a car. We're going to take a car. And we hop in the front seat, and what always happens? You flip the visor down, and the keys fall from the visor into your lap. How convenient. Do any of you put your car keys in the visor of the car? Have you ever? I've never done that. I've never known anybody to do that. Who puts keys in the visor to the car? Is it just me who thinks that's kind of crazy? Especially after seeing all the movies where people look for car keys and visors. I wouldn't do it now even if I ever did before. Who puts car keys in the visors? Seriously. And let's assume the driver wised up and doesn't put the car keys in the visor. So our hero goes in there and hot wires the car. Really? Do you know how to hot wire a car? I don't. Apparently, it's very easy. You reach under there, grab a couple of wires, rub them together, and boom, the car starts. No matter how old the car is, no matter what year the movie is, it's super easy to hotwire cars. I'm surprised we don't have a raft of car thefts going on throughout the nation because it's apparently super easy to hotwire a car. Now, the other thing that bothers me in these hero movies is as you get to the end of the movies and the big gunfight scene starts up, machine guns never hit anything. Did you ever notice that? And apparently, the bullets are easily avoidable because the hero will see the bad guy come out with a machine gun and then start sprinting down the road, and the bullets just dance off the road in front of him or behind him, but never at him. And yet, he turns around, fires off two shots with a pistol, and boom, bad guy with a machine gun is dead. Because that makes sense. And speaking of bad guys with a machine gun, why do they never die? There's always that scene where everybody thinks the bad guy is dead. And all of a sudden, boom, up he pops. One more shot at the hero, which never goes well. The hero always has a gun handy. Think the end of Die Hard. All right, the bad guy is supposed to be dead, and he comes out of the building under the fireman's raincoat, ready to blow away John McClane, and he gets killed on the street by Officer Powell. I mean, why is that? I'm tired of that. I'm tired of the bad guy. Oh, yeah, he's not really dead. Ha ha. Now he is. And finally, this has nothing to do with cars or lights or heroes or machine guns. This is just one of those things that I've noticed over the years. In every movie and every TV show where people order Chinese takeout, it always comes in those traditional white containers. Everybody always grabs the container and a pair of chopsticks and starts eating out of a container. Who does that, really? I buy Chinese food, I take the container, I bring it to my house, I pour the stuff on a plate and I eat it with a fork. Am I the only one? Does everybody eat Chinese food out of the container with chopsticks? And why do they order 17 containers of Chinese food? When I go to get Chinese food, I order one thing. Maybe an egg roll and a container of fried rice and boom, I'm done. Who orders 17 containers of food for two people? It just makes no sense. And it makes me crazy. Now, as we talked about the last time we talked about movies, these tropes are overused gimmicks, overused cliches, overused setups that just make you crazy. And it can be anything. Like we said last time, the parking spot that's always in front of the building, no matter what. You never see a movie star try to park a car in a movie. So those are the ones we talked about last time. We've got 10 more. The first one that always makes me crazy is when you have a character trying to tell somebody something important, and they're always interrupted. Somebody comes in the door. The phone rings. Something pops up on TV. It's a critical plot point, and yet there's something that stops the message from getting out. It makes me crazy. The distant cousin to this one is also where, if the person would just put words into a sentence and explain the situation, Timmy fell in the well. The message would get conveyed. But they never say it that way. They say it, I was in the woods and something terrible happened. So they're either interrupted or they don't know how to string words together in a sentence. It makes me crazy. Number two on our trope list today is that scene where the couple has gotten together. They get along great, they wind up in bed together, and you know that they've hooked up, and that's awesome. We're really happy for them, and the camera cuts to the two of them falling backwards into bed together, naked under a sheet. How often do two people after they've hooked up, fall backwards in bed together under the sheet. It's just something that doesn't happen. Why do they do that? Now, how about this one? The people run into the kitchen in the morning getting their coffee. Breakfast is laid out. You got a stack of pancakes over there. You got the waffles over there. You got hot oatmeal over here. And then everybody runs out the door and nobody takes a bite to eat. Really? If you're taking the time to make me food, I'm taking the time to sit down and eat it. Usually it's breakfast in the movies, sometimes it's lunch, sometimes it's dinner, but it always seems to be breakfast. And they all come down, they grab their coffee, they're ready to sit down and have their meal, and something comes up, or, oh, we're late! And they all scramble out the door with all the food on the table. Seriously? Next up, we've got two weather-related ones that both have to do with precipitation. Snow. Snow is always gentle. Big, lovely flakes, falling softly from the sky. Really? In real life, snow is miserable. It comes pouring out of the sky. You hear the hail hitting the car. There's plows going around. People are mumbling and grumbling about the snow being a mess. It doesn't fall like little angels out of the sky. It's miserable. And the same with rain. Rain is never a gentle little rain, pitter-pattering on the top of your umbrella. At least 50% of the time, I'm wrestling with my umbrella against the wind as it whips the rain around underneath the umbrella, gets me wet no matter which way I point the umbrella. Rain is not a pleasant little interlude like it is in the movies. It's a mess. Now, number five on the list, it's where the computer expert says something in computerese and the hero says, in English, please. Don't you just want to smack the spit out of his mouth? We all know that it's something technical. We don't need the line, in English, please. Don't be a dick. Just let the guy say his thing and do his thing. You don't have to be a smart aleck about it. Now, what about the people who make plans? All right, I'll pick you up at eight. Now, they've just met. They don't know each other. But I'll pick you up at eight. Where are you picking them up? Nobody exchanged addresses. You don't know each other. You just met. Are you telepathic? How do you know where to go to pick them up at eight? That one always bothers me. Another one that always bothers me, women in high heels. I love women in high heels, but the movies have them wearing high heels in the most ridiculous circumstances. Police officers running in high heels. What about Jurassic Park, the reboot? Not the one that just came out in 2018, but the one that came out two years before that, where Bryce Howard is running along in heels. In heels? In heels? I know women, they they don't like to have their heels on any longer than they have to, let alone go running marathons in them. Chasing dinosaurs in heels, I'm, I'm going barefoot. Women in heels in weird spots, always a problem in the movies, at least from my perspective. Number eight is the scene where the hero walks into the bar, and the TV is always on the right channel to catch the newscast that's most relevant, or to catch the alert that our hero is on the wanted list. Or catch the news flash that our hero's significant other is somehow in danger. Every bar that I go into has a sporting event on the TV. There are no news flashes, especially in this day and age. Okay, two more. First is that scene where the person breaks down hysterically, crying, Oh my God, the end is near, what are we gonna do? And the hero slaps him across the face. How many times have we seen that happen in the movies? Countless, right? How many times has that ever happened in real life? Like, never? First of all, I don't ever remember crying hysterically over something that's gone outrageously out of control. But second, even if I've been mildly upset, nobody's been near enough to slap me across the face because I've been mildly upset about it. It, it's, it's crazy. Have you ever thought of slapping somebody across the face because they're hysterical? I might give you a hug, but slap you across the face? Mm, No, I don't think so. The last one is driving. Driving in the movies is always entertaining to watch because the steering wheel seems to move in ways that are completely inconsistent with the road that we're driving along. I know driving. I've driven a car once or twice. I don't really move the wheel unless I'm going around a curve. There is no wiggling the wheel. You hold the wheel. You're going straight, you hold the wheel. You gently turn it if you're going into a curve and that's it. Now, related to that one is this. If somebody's in the car with me, I don't look at them when I'm talking to them. I might do a quick glance, like, bleep, that's it. But the people in movies who have these long-winded, heartfelt conversations while they're driving a car, it makes me crazy. It also makes me think those are the people that I drive behind on the way to work in the morning, because they're just so bad at driving. Now, talking about the corny action movies made me think about the corny action movie tropes. And they may not be in all of the movies, but they're in enough of them so that we look at them and we go, oh yeah, they're doing that again. And I only have 10. Believe me, there's more than 10. These are not even the top 10. These are just the 10 that I came up with. At least for this episode. I'm sure we'll have more for the next one. So first up, we all know the action movie is over when they give us the closing freeze frame. You know the one I'm talking about. The hero puts his arm around his sidekick. They both have big grins on their face. And the movie freezes at that point. Or somebody says something funny, and the other guy looks away, laughing, and they freeze it at that point. And then the credits run. I don't know why that bothers me, but the closing freeze frame just, you know, fade to black. Throw the credits up on top. But the closing freeze frame just annoys me. Maybe it's just me, but that closing, that freeze, I hate that. (laughs) If you couldn't tell, I hate that. It just seems like lazy. We ran out of things to do. Freeze it. We also have in our action movies the easily exploding cars. There are some cars in action movies that if you look at them the wrong way, they blow up. If cars blew up as easily as some of the cars in action movies, insurance rates would certainly be a lot higher. I've seen scenes in movies where a car rolls down a hill. Rolls down a hill. It doesn't roll over. It's just on its wheels. It rolls down the hill. It hits a tree at the bottom of the hill and bursts into flame like it's been wired with dynamite. I mean, I know you want to get the thrills going and I know you want to get the action going, but blowing up a car because it taps a tree? You're starting to lose me there. You're starting to lose my believability factor. I realize we're watching a movie and I know that when I walked in the place, but now you're taking me to the place of this is a cartoon, it's not really a movie. And the same goes for number three on the list, which is what happens when you encounter glass. When you encounter glass in real life, you bang your head on it. If you encounter glass in a movie, it shatters all around you. And what I'm talking about is when you walk through a door or somebody throws you through a window. In real life, have you ever walked hard into a glass door? Yeah, you bounce off. Believe me, I know, I've done it. The scene that springs to mind is the scene from Beverly Hills Cop, which is actually a very good movie. But when they throw Axel Foley through the plate glass window in that business that he's visiting at the beginning... You've just lost me there. You lost me for those few seconds that he's bouncing on the sidewalk and the candy glass shatters around him. Because I know you can't throw people through plate glass. I know it. The action movies are also guilty of the overly polite gang of bad guys. By that I mean, during a fight, every opponent, very politely, waits for every other opponent to take his or her turn to attack the hero before they go. You know what I'm talking about. You got 15 guys going after the hero and they go one by one. Sometimes maybe they'll go two at a time, but then the rest of them are there, what are they, checking their phone? Updating their Facebook page? Waiting for the two guys to get knocked down before they go after the hero? I'm thinking 15 guys should be able to take out one guy. Maybe it's just me, but perhaps you have a group of you gang up on the guy? Just a thought. The action movies are also notorious for having tracking devices the size of toasters. Okay, perhaps that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but seriously. When our hero has to slip under a car or into a van or on a truck, they always have that tracking device that they need two hands to maneuver to fasten to the underside of the truck or inside the fender well or wherever they're hooking it up, and it's the size of a toaster. Not only is it the size of a toaster, it also has a blinking light. What store are you shopping at that puts blinking lights on their subtle tracking devices? It's a tracking device. It's supposed to be subtle. You're not supposed to see it the bad guys aren't supposed to know that there's a little transmitter. The operative word being little. Big transmitter with flashing light? Probably not as subtle as you might want to go. Just a thought. And as long as we're talking about subtle, why is it when the hero has a disguise and is trying to sneak into the bad guy headquarters and the disguise works, they take it off? What sense does that make? Yeah, I know we're at a movie and we want to see Tom Cruise do his Mission Impossible thing or whatever it is, but When you take the disguise off, aren't you defeating the purpose of the disguise? See, the disguise got you into the bad guy place. I'm thinking if you leave it on, you'll be able to do more of that hero stuff you're there to do. When you take the disguise off and throw it away, you kind of give up the point of the disguise, right? But once you've taken off the disguise and you've gone through the gauntlet of polite henchmen who are attacking you two at a time, that brings us to the next trope. When you're being attacked by these guys two at a time, how is it that you're able to knock them out with a punch to the chest? Or to the shoulder? Or to the stomach? You know you've seen it happen. They knock these guys down, they give them a hard shove into a wall, and that knocks them out? I mean, I'm no doctor, but I know you gotta take a good shot to the head to get knocked out. I've had the wind knocked out of me. But I wasn't unconscious, and I got up pretty quick after that. Knocking a guy out cold by kicking him in the ribs? Hmm, I don't think so. And then there's the trope where the hero is going after the bad guy. And the bad guy is the head of this evil empire. He's got hundreds of henchmen around him. And so the plan is to take out the big boss. We're going to get the evil bad guy and bring down his empire. It just occurs to me that if you arrest the big bad guy, if you kill the big bad guy, if you knock him out, if you put him in jail, are you expecting the rest of the bad guys to, you know, just give up? (laughs) Oh, you got the boss. Okay, here, come get me as well. I mean, maybe I'm looking at it too realistically, but if you got a hundred guys behind Mr. Big Boss and you take Mr. Big Boss out, there's a hundred guys vying for the next seat at the table. But okay, who am I to ruin a good movie? We got the Big Boss fine. The Hundred Underlings are fodder for the sequel. Good, that'll work out great. And this next one applies not just to action movies, but to TV shows as well. You're going to see this all the time. You're introduced to the coroner. He's working on a dead body. And he's eating. He's eating lunch. He's having a snack. I mean, I get it. We're supposed to get the fact that, yeah, he's a coroner. He's used to working with dead bodies. But seriously, you have to have him eating while working on dead bodies? I mean, I get it, but that would be like showing us the concert violinist having some potato chips between songs. It just doesn't make sense. I don't need that visual. I get it. He's a coroner. The dead bodies around him and the formaldehyde jar in back of him, that's the dead giveaway right there. And finally, on our list of movie tropes, and you know this happens, they even have started making fun of it in movies, it happens so often, it's the bad guy speech. We all know it's coming, where Mr. Bad Guy has to tell the protagonist, well, this is the reason for my evil plan. And he goes on to talk about his motivation, and all the things that went wrong in his life, and all the things he's going to set right with this plan. Or he's going to gloat about how he tricked the hero here, and he tricked the hero there. And this is the point where he reveals the double-crosser who was supposed to be a friend and is really one of the bad guy's henchmen. We always have the long, drawn-out speech. And of course, that gives the hero, or the hero's helpers, time to come and beat the bad guy. You know what you do if you're the big bad guy in real life? Just shoot the hero. Just shoot him. It's over. I don't need to hear the big bad guy speech. And yet there it is. Well, I'm so evil and here's why I'm so superior to you. And then he takes a bullet in the head. When you get the bad guy speech like that, you wonder, how did this guy get to be in charge? Okay, he's like evil and stuff, but he's such a narcissist. How could he, how could he rise to the level of big bad guyness when all he wants to do is pontificate on how wonderfully evil he is? That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you listening to all of the episodes, including this Best Of episode. Hope you liked it. If you have any suggestions or stories you'd like to hear on future Best Of episodes, message me on Twitter, whisper me on Twitch. Just let me know. We'll find those stories. We'll put them up in future episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, you take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.